This is The Creator Revealed, a production of 3ABN Television. Welcome to The Creator Revealed. I'm Tim Standish. And usually, when I introduce myself, I say that I'm a biologist. But I actually have a PhD in biology and public policy. Ah. And public policy is all about laws and how people relate with one another, the rules by which a society will operate. Well, Tim, I'm glad you're here to do this series with us, and we're so glad that you are joining us today. We will be talking about human relationships. If we look from the biblical perspective, God made us special. He made us in His image, and He had a plan and a purpose for our lives, and He made man to dominate the rest, to go out and have dominion over the rest of His creation. And when we use that word domination, we do not mean to somehow or other lord it over the rest of the creation. We mean caring for the creation. Yes. God has entrusted it to us. But what about with each other? God, God clearly defines the relationship between humans and the rest of the creation. What about humans and humans? Well, here in Matthew, we have a record of something that Jesus Christ himself said. He was talking about the sacrament of marriage. Mm -hmm. And he said this, haven't you read, he, this is Jesus, replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So God intended for there to be perfect harmony and unity in human yeah. relationships, particularly between us, between spouses. Between, between spouses, yes. It, there, there is something beautiful and glorious yes. about that, something that tells us something about God in the relationship Amen. between a man and a woman, um, something incredibly special. And of course, we, we use words like love to describe that, but then sometimes we confuse love with sensual things lust. or lust or um, uh, those sorts of things. Love is a lot more than that. Especially no. when you think of God's love, it is other-centered mm. love. And that's how we grow when you, when you grow in love. I mean, we don't Self really Self-sacrificing. Yes, yes, it's other-centered, self-sacrificing love. True love is putting the interests of another being before your own. And that's God's That's God's. Love. That's God's love. <laughs> yes. Now, I want you to compare that or think about this in the context of what James Rachel wrote a few years ago. He is talking about morality from a, an evolutionary perspective. And he says, an evolutionary perspective denies that humans are different in kind 
from other animals. And one cannot reasonably make distinctions in morals where none exist in fact. Mm. You can imagine why today we have some of these strange and confusing ideas that are being tossed around about how humans should relate to one another. This is a source of that. I don't want to blame everything necessarily on this, but certainly if you say, I am an animal and therefore God has no uh, dominion over me, there are no, I can make up my own things. If I, if I feel like doing something, I should just be able to do it because I'm an animal. There's a quick story. I interviewed a gentleman who was a sheriff who in Northern California went to high school. He worked with gangs and he was meeting with a group of boys that were 17, 18 years old and they had never heard the gospel. They never heard Mm. about Jesus and God. And when these young men understood that they didn't evolve from an ape, that they were truly made in God's image for a purpose, he was able to rescue 90% of them came out of the gang. Isn't that wonderful? You know, the gospel is so transformative. Yes. Um, You can see (laughs) the the way that God can, in fact, uh, change people's lives. We are more than just subject to however, whatever we feel like doing at any instant in time. But this, this different morality has massive implications in a society and the way that people relate to, to each other. Let's jump back and just talk, well, see what Charles Darwin, how, how he applies this, not just to relationships between individuals, two individuals in a marriage or something, but how he sees things working out for different cultures or different races of people. He says, I can see no difficulty in the most intellectual individuals of a species being continually selected Mm. and the intellect of the new species thus improved, aided probably by effects of inherited mental exercise, I look at this process as now going on with the races of man, the less intellectual races being exterminated. He's saying, hey, this extermination of people whom he called savages, some of whom, by the way, were my ancestors. (laughs) um, uh, He sees that as the way it should be. That's that's how evolutionary progress occurs. No um, regard for the value of life. Exactly. Obviously, there can be no, no, no possibility of racial equality in the Darwinian view of things because it's all about survival of the fittest. Some people, some groups, some individuals, some, something has to be more fit than something else. So was Adolf Hitler a fan of Charles Darwin. Oh, yes. Yeah, we're actually going to get to that. Yeah, but first I want to contrast this with the biblical view, which is rooted in creation. Here's Paul, and he's talking to Epicurean philosophers here, people who believed a materialistic 
view of reality. And he writes, from one man, he, this is God, made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. He's saying, hey, we're all descended from one man, Greek, Jew, slave, free, all those sorts of things. Paul actually lays this out very, very clearly. And this is rooted in the idea of we're all descended from Adam and we can all become children of God by adoption by the second Adam, Amen. Jesus Christ himself, who was, is the creator so of prejudice, all things. So prejudice, when you see somebody that's being prejudiced because of a skin color, for example, yeah. really they have 99.99999% more in common with that person. They just have something different externally. You know what's interesting? There are a lot of people who try to somehow or other quantify differences like this and then draw conclusions from it. My view is this. Hey, you know what? Somebody who is of African ancestry is just as human as I am. Somebody who is of Asian ancestry is just as human as I am. God made us diverse and we are all profoundly equal. It doesn't matter if we're 80% the same. We are human beings Amen. and God make, made all humans absolutely equal in a very profound way. I mean, here's, here's Paul writing again. He's, he's writing here actually to the Galatians and he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, who of course is our creator and redeemer. It's, it's a very, very clear message rooted in the biblical view of creation. Um, let's, now let's jump again back and look at the sorts of things that, that Darwin was writing. He says, there is reason to believe that vaccination has preserved thousands who from a weak constitution would formerly have succumbed to smallpox. And you would think, hey, this is only a good thing, right? Yes. Amen. Now, Darwin equivocates on this, and I'm giving a short quote here. So anyone who's interested, I invite them to go and look here. This is in a book called The Descent of Man. Look this up and read it in context uh, because, you know, he, he's obviously struggling himself with this. How could this be a bad thing? But he goes on. And he says, thus, the weak members of civilized societies propagate their kind. No one who has attended to the breeding of domestic animals will doubt that this must be highly injurious to the race of man. Ultimately, vaccinations are bad um, I, you know, because, because, because they save lives. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, I, you know, the logic is absolutely incredible. Uh, Jesus Christ is not willing that any should perish. That's, right. That's the biblical view. That's the Christian view. Yeah. Every human being, we want to do what we can do to save them. Darwinism is to a large degree about the weak being eliminated. But look at, and, and of course, viewing human beings as animals. Yes. But what happens as we apply that in, 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 in a logical way. I'm just going to give you this example here, but this is not unique. Okay, this is in a paper published in the Journal of Medical Ethics. 
This is not in some crazy fringe sort of thing. These are people who are taken seriously. And they write, we claim that killing a newborn could be ethically permissible in all the circumstances where abortion would be. Now, I personally don't think that abortion is ethically permissible. Um, so, uh, but these people do. They think that, you know, if, if, if in their view, if, if this thing is not fully human, then it's okay to, to destroy its life. They're talking about an actual newborn. They're talking now about a baby, a baby that's been born. And they say such circumstances where it's okay to kill this child, such circumstances include cases ah. where the newborn has the potential to have an at least acceptable life, but the well-being of the family is at rest. I, is, you know, I'm not, I'm not even going to say any more. You know, Adolf Hitler, you know, the, these ideas about destroying the weak, if, if you're not strong enough to protect yourself, you don't have rights, are really horrifying. Hitler wrote, by means of the struggle, the elites are continually renewed. The law of selection justifies this incessant struggle by allowing the survival of the fittest. Christianity is a rebellion against natural law, a protest against nature. Taken to its logical extreme, Christianity would mean the systematic cultivation of the human failure. And we know the outcome of this, the slaughter of the weak. The Bible says, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That is what we get. And of course, Marxism also built off this Darwinian foundation is all about struggle and we know the outcome yes. of these things. Um, and yet, what did Jesus say? He said, you know, when, when I come, this is, this is what the king will say. Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink and so on. It's all about caring. Amen. For the weak. It's not, it's not about destroying people who can't protect themselves. So what does this reveal about the Creator? His existence as multiple persons but one being is illustrated in the sacrament of marriage. But in addition to that, His care for everyone is shown in the way He defines our relationships. Love, care not power and destroying the weak. What we believe about the sanctity of life, about the value of life, will determine how we treat other people, not only in our personal circles, but in our government. So please stay tuned because we have a human rights attorney that will be joining us to talk about it. Welcome to the Minute That Makes a Difference. I'm Margot Marshall. What difference would it make if you ate a healthy diet? You would eliminate one of the leading global risks to health. But what is a healthy diet? The World Health Organization lists five food groups. Fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts and whole unprocessed grains. That's it. No mention of meat poultry, fish, eggs, or even milk. You can check it out on their fact sheet 394. 
What a pity it's taken us so long to realise that the diet the Creator recommended to our first parents is still the healthiest diet. So, to eliminate one of the leading global risks to health, move towards a whole food, plant-based diet. It makes a huge difference. Welcome back to The Creator Revealed. If we believe the biblical account of creation, and we certainly do, then we know that man was created special, and that means that human rights are rooted in the Bible's account of creation. Well, certainly history has shown us that when people take this particular understanding of humanity, created in the image of God, created equal, um, then with that understanding, there are all kinds of wonderful benefits that come along with that. Yes. We're going to meet a lawyer uh, now, a lawyer who has practiced in the area of civil rights and religious freedom. Now, his name happens to be James Standish. And he can. And he might just be my brother. <laughs> so I'm pretty proud of him. Um, and uh, we certainly have had some very interesting conversations together over the course of of the course of our lifetime. So uh, here's my brother. Let's, let's meet him. Welcome, James. Thanks. Well, it's great, uh, it's great that you could join us. And um, we've been talking about this, this idea of human rights. Uh, you're a lawyer. So tell us, where exactly do, do our ideas about the creation sort of feed into the laws that we have to follow in a country like the United States or really in many other systems of law? Well, as you know, uh, our idea of human rights uh, is first expressed in the Declaration of Independence where it says that we're endowed by our creator. So right from the very beginning, the United States anchored our human rights in the idea that we're all equal children of God. Very interestingly, as you also know, around the same time as the United States uh, had went through its revolution and then uh, adopted its constitution, the country of France was going through a similar revolution, but they did not anchor their rights in the idea of the creator God. And their revolution ended up as a uh, bloodbath. Uh, and it's actually their revolution that has been more commonly followed over the years than the American Revolution. We think of the Marxist revolutions, we think of the fascist revolutions. All of those are uh, anchored in a secular idea of the rights of the people and the rights of the state, a very different idea. One of the things that's interesting, Tim and Shelley, that I, at least I find fascinating is in addition to the United States uh, idea of human rights, we have uh, article, um, the, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that came out uh, after the Second World War uh, through the United Nations process. And what is interesting is, over the years, a number of regimes have critiqued the United Nations Human Rights uh, uh, Declaration because, they say, it is anchored in a Judeo-Christian view of the world and therefore is not applicable to societies that are not anchored in that same uh, worldview. And in a way, they're right. There's overwhelming evidence that Christians and Jews work together 
to formulate the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And in a way, they're correct to say those rights may not apply to our culture because we don't buy the premises of those rights. But, Obviously, but then, yeah. people argue back. But, but then how, how would we respond then to, let's say, atheists who say, well, look, we don't need the Bible. We don't need any God. We can just sort of be good. And why, why isn't that enough? Well, the first question is uh, to those who say my religion is to be good or we can just be good without the Bible is this. What does it mean to be good? For some of us, it means uh, the uh, statement to be good means ref uh, respecting other people's rights to be uh, to follow their own faith traditions. It means following the freedom of speech, permitting people the right to assemble, etc. For other people, the idea of allowing that level of freedom is a dangerous thing that results in behaviors or beliefs that they disagree with and therefore think are objectively wrong. Similarly, uh, for some of us, we believe that that good involves protecting life, both at the beginning of life and at the end of life. For others, there's no uh, nothing good about that. It's just uh, matter, and matter uh, doesn't have innate rights. It just has uh, a utility. And uh, if it's unwanted, then it should be able to be terminated. So, so, so there, are, there, there so we would be talking. Good? There, there we'd be talking about the kinds of things that we hear uh, philosophers or or ethicists like Peter Singer then uh, talking about this kind of well, utilitarian idea. Exactly, and you know, once again, this goes to the heart of you can't say let's just do what's good because what is good, what is love, etc. These are really the basis of a discussion. And if you have a different view of where you're getting the definitions from, you're going to come ultimately to different outcomes. And you and I both lived in Southeast Asia during uh, very tumultuous times. We know that people who were part of Pol Pot's Cambodia, for example, they thought they were creating an ideal world. And if you're creating an ideal utopia, you're right to kill those who stand in its way. It's the same philosophy that Robespierre uh, who, uh, during the French Revolution went through. If you're standing in the way of, of human perfection, eliminating you benefits everybody. So there's a utilitarian analysis that says you should do it. On the converse side, there are those of us who believe if you're created by God, you have inalienable rights. That is, those rights cannot be taken away. And those rights uh, include the right to liberty and life. And even if there is a utility in ending someone's life, that utility cannot be pursued because the right supersedes the utility. Okay, so... Translate that to English. <laughs> what that means is, um, <laughs> as, 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 as I understand it, what that, what that would mean then is, hey, really... When, when you're talking about things like the value of somebody's life, if, that, if, if one person's life, if you judge it to have less value than somebody else's life, then it's okay to kill that other person. It's okay for that person whose life is less valuable 
to be dealt with differently. There is no equality between people. You are not equal just because you're human. Um, so a smart, yeah, and, and a smart I, rich person I, might have more value than a poor sick person. And for our viewers and, and those who are listening, who believes this? Oh, this is a widely held belief, but perhaps James could comment on that. In our lifetimes, many people have believed it. That's how we got Pol Pot in Cambodia. It's how we had uh, the about, they estimate somewhere in the range of 30 million people died during Mao's uh, rule of China. It's what happened in the Soviet Union, where tens of millions, if you add up all the people killed during the communist era, uh, their estimates vary, but they go as high as 100 million people. That's even more than fascism. But fascism also believed the same thing. We're building a utopia here on Earth. Therefore, anyone who's in the way of getting to that utopia, which will be good for everybody, anyone who gets in the way of that should be eliminated. And in fact, that's the moral thing to do because our because we don't view the right to life as an ultimate right. We view it as uh, balanced against the right of the state and progress and all the other things that, that these uh, sort of uh, regimes and, 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 uh, and philosophies uh, uh, projected. Okay, so, so not what about, what about here in the, in the free world? How, what, what happens when society you know, starts to embrace these kinds of ideas? But let me ask this quick question. This would be the rationale for genocide then. Right? Uh, it, it, it's this a rationale. Type of thinking. It's a rationale. Yeah, exactly. It's a rationale for genocide, but not just genocide. It's the rationale for uh, uh, gulags. It's the rationale for secret police. It's the rationale for all of that restriction on people because those people are the enemies of progress. And if you're confident where progress is going and you can identify uh, people who stand in the way, the idea is that those people's rights must be sacrificed for society's progress, essentially. Um, how do we see it in Western countries today? Because we know that Western countries are becoming more secular, and that secularism uh, has an impact on our political process. I think that the way you see it most, close, uh, most clearly is in the disrespect for human life, uh, particularly at the early human life and late human life. Uh, as you know, so, so you're talking you're talking there very, about abortion and euthanasia then. Yes, those I am. two words. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we we have to wrap things and, up. And, but thank you so much for joining oh. us, James. It's been a real pleasure. <laughs> I could talk all day, but we've got the rest of our lives together. <laughs> we've got to get on with this program. But thank you very much for well, taking the I, time and joining us. Thank you, James. You know, Shelley talking with James and being reminded of that time when we were growing up in Thailand yes. and the slaughter that was going on in the country right next door. Millions. Millions of people slaughtered. It's tempting for, for us living, living in a relatively peaceful country to imagine that our ideas about the creation, you know, they don't have very much practical um, practical value. But in reality, this society that was founded on that principle, that, that it is self-evident that all men are created equal, and as a consequence of that, that human beings have un, 
alienable rights. That means it doesn't matter whether the person is rich, poor, old, young, fit, ill, it doesn't matter. Those rights cannot be taken away from a human being. What value there yes. is in that. What a blessing there is in living in a society like that. And this. the framework of our government is really based on the laws of God and it's just something it, that... It is. is. It's a human thing. That means it's not perfect. But it's a divine but thing. It, it does. You know, bringing in those principles. That's why I thank God every day that I wake up in a free country. Amen. Listening to The Creator Revealed, a production of 3ABN Television.